When the federal tax bill for America's businesses, Mr. Speaker, is $10 billion, it doesn't take much of an investment in lobbying for special exemptions in the tax code to make that happen. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, and that was Georgia Congressman Robert Woodall you heard at the top. Today on the program, we look at the business of lobbying. If you hire a lobbyist, what exactly do you get for your money? Yeah, if you're Microsoft or Goldman Sachs or any number of American companies, chances are you're spending some sizable chunk of money on lobbying. But why? What are you getting in return? We have numbers for you. That's coming up. But first, the Planet Money Indicator, as always, with our very own Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator, $292 billion. State and local governments collected $292 billion in tax revenues in the third quarter of this year, in July, August, and September. That is 4% more than they collected in the same period last year. So you say state and local government tax revenues, and I think... Well, obviously, I think excitement and party sure. Bum, but then, bum, bum. <laughs> secondarily, I also think jobs because every month for more than a year now, we've seen the private sector adding jobs, but state and local governments are cutting jobs. Yeah, these these governments they took a significant hit during the recession. Their tax revenues went down, and so so they did start cutting jobs, and they have not stopped cutting jobs. In fact, if I can just throw one more number at you, I, I went back and added it up just now. In the past year, state and local governments have actually cut 700,000 jobs, which it still seems like a lot to me. That's frankly. just in 2011? That's, yeah, year over year. So November 2010 through November 2011. Wow. So this rise in revenues, this 4% increase in, in tax revenues, does that mean that they're going to start hiring some of those people back? No, probably not right now. I mean, you know, for one thing, federal stimulus money, that is winding down. There was a lot of stimulus money the states were getting from the feds. Uh, For another, they're still on the hook for Medicaid in a very big way. So the states have a lot of uh, fiscal issues still. It's kind of less bad, but it's it's not a great picture. All right. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Thanks. So, David, let's start things off by playing a quick word association game. I love games. All right. When I say the word lobbying, what comes to mind? Actually, the last podcast you did on lobbying, uh, so I think of like special rooms at restaurants that you can't get into where lobbyists and lawmakers have fancy meals. I did not hear you say the phrase sound business investment strategy. I I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, well, that, in fact, is what lobbying is, at least according to a couple of people we'll be hearing from on today's program. People who've thought a lot about what kind of return, monetary return, lobbying gets you. So just for reference, some returns on investment you might think of. If you put money in a savings account, your return on that investment would be pretty low these days, barely 1% a year. On the other extreme... Bernie Madoff was telling people they would get 10% guaranteed a year if they invested with him. So if you're a criminal, you want to come up with a big, impressive-sounding lie, you say, I'm going to give you 10% annual return on your investment. So what do you get when you invest in lobbying? Well, for a long time, this was a really hard question to answer. We know that people lobby for a reason. We know that they're successful many times, but we haven't really been able to quantify what's the return on their lobbying investment. Raquel Alexander is a tax professor teaching at the University of Kansas. And a couple of years ago, she and her colleagues set out to answer this very difficult question. 
It's sort of tricky, right? Because there are a lot of reasons people lobby, and you can't always put a dollar figure on what they get out of it. Like the NRA lobbies for gun rights issues, the Sierra Club lobbies on environmental issues. And if they get some regulation strengthened or one loosened, like there's no easy way to tally up what that is worth. But in 2004, Raquel and her colleagues finally got something they could study and add up the lobbying costs and benefits. It was the American Jobs Creation Act. Now, this was a bill that lots of multinational corporations had spent a lot of money lobbying for because it got them a huge one-time tax break. Profits that they earned abroad, they could now bring back into the United States. And instead of paying the normal tax rate of 35%, they paid just over 5%. So this was a perfect case study for Raquel and her colleagues. The amount these companies spent lobbying for this law was publicly available. And the amount they saved in their taxes once the law went into effect was also available from the company's public financial filings. So we found 450 firms that reported in their financial statement that they repatriated. Mm-hmm. And that of is, those, they, brought, they brought some money back from overseas. They, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. they were taking advantage of this tax holiday to bring money back home. And um, of those 93, we mm-hmm. identified as being involved in lobbying extensively. Okay. And so then, and so what did you do? You just compared how much money they'd spent lobbying with how much money they saved in, in, on their taxes when they brought the money back? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? <laughs> and the return on investment was what? 22,000%. So for every dollar on average that these firms spent on tax lobbying, they received $220 in tax benefits from this repatriation provision. Were you expecting it to be that big? I was not. I was not expecting it to be that big at all. What did you see when you first saw your results? What did you think? I thought I needed to go back and check my math again. (laughs) (laughs) So after the fifth or sixth time checking, you were like, oh, this is the number. (laughs) After the 20th time of checking. Alex, we should point out this is just one case, right? It's one example. Happens to be a successful example. I mean, if you took an example where a company paid some money to lobby for an issue and it didn't go their way, then they just lost all that money. The return on investment is terrible. But it, it's an interesting example. Right. And I mean, you, certainly you can't extrapolate from this to the entire system in, in general. It's one data point. Although I did run that number by an actual lobbyist just to see, you know, was this typical? Surprised it's so little. Surprised it's so little? Yeah. Who, who is this guy? Uh, this is a name you've heard before, often preceded by the term disgraced lobbyist. That's right. That's Jack Abramoff. He's out of prison now. Yeah, after three and a half years, right. And and he's very available now for, for interviews. He's He's been everywhere. And basically, he's in a pretty talkative mood in the way that you know people with nothing left to lose can sometimes be. His career in Washington seems basically finished. He's a convicted felon. And all he has left is just sort of his story. And the book he wrote. And the book he wrote, yes. And so when I talked to him, I asked him for examples of, of what kind of returns on investment he got for his clients. And, and what did he do to get those returns? And, and he gave an example of one company he worked for, he lobbied for. Tyco International was a big multinational corporation that's in a lot of areas, you know, alarms, defense, pipelines. Tyco um, came to me, and they were fighting to stay out of the uh, tax bill that year, which would have retroactively uh, taxed them to the tune of about $4 billion. This was in 2003. And Senator Charles Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, had introduced a bill targeting companies like Tyco who maintained an offshore tax status. And his bill would have forced Tyco to pay back taxes going back to 1997 and would have 
boosted their tax rate. Okay, so I can see why Tyco was willing to spend some money trying to fight this. Yeah, but it was going to be a lot of money because by the time Tyco got to Abramoff, this bill was almost a done deal. The bill had broad bipartisan support. Tyco wasn't very popular in, in the public at that time. Its CEO, Dennis Kozlowski, had just resigned over pay, right? Pay yeah, pay. there was a big scandal about his huge pay package. And Grassley's version of this bill had already passed in the Senate. A very similar bill had also passed in the House. And remember, Tyco is just trying to get this one small provision removed, the thing that would hit them with the taxes. But to do that, it would require a last-ditch effort as the bill went through conference committee. That's the last step before a bill becomes a law. That's where the House and Senate versions are combined into one final version. And Abramoff told Tyco... This is going to take a full court press. I mean, like we're going to need lots of suits on the ground. Suits on the ground, exactly, uh, which don't come cheap. So disclosure reports show that Tyco gave Abramoff's firm $1.3 million in 2003, which is a lot for an individual company to pay to a lobbying firm. Worked out to about $150,000 a month. $150,000 a month enables me to put on the field a team of my up to 40 lobbyists. Mm-hmm. So we create internally in the office a team to work on uh, Tyco. There would be a specifically designated Tyco team, sort of like a Mission Impossible type team, you know, uh, who's got good ties in this committee, who's got good ties in that committee. Mm-hmm. And it probably wound up to be about 20, 25 people working just on this issue. This team was in charge of tracking all the relevant legislation, staying in touch with the key members on, on the relevant committees, and, and above all, targeting the legislation's sponsor, Charles Grassley. What we did was we plied him with um, contributions and access to our various lobbying trinkets, whether they be the suites at the various um, sporting venues for fundraisers or the restaurant I owned. Uh, or planes to fly him to other fundraisers. And we basically did a full court press to get to be friends with his office. And one of the main ways to be friends? To give campaign contributions. So Abramoff and a bunch of people in his office made individual contributions to Grassley's reelection campaign. He got the executives and employees at Tyco to make contributions. But there are limits to how much an individual can give to an individual congressman. It's just a couple thousand dollars. So Amoff came up with this sort of clever solution. Remember, Tyco is just one of many clients that use his firm. One of the things I did was I had my clients understand that just as other clients who had nothing to do with them would step up and give contributions to congressmen they needed to uh, have some sway with, so similarly they needed to do the same. And I went to every client I could and rounded up every check we could for uh, for him. How many how many fundraisers did, did you throw for Grassley? I don't remember. Plenty. You know, look, access is vital in lobbying. If you can't get in the door, you can't make your case. Here we had a hostile senator whose staff was hostile, and we had to get in. And um, so that was the first, you know, that's the sort of lobbyist safecracker method is, uh, you know, throw fundraisers, um, uh, raise money, and become a big donor. Alex, how much did Abramov raise for Grassley? The AP tried to tally up all the money that Grassley received from Abramoff-related clients, and they said it was over $62,000. Abramoff guessed it was probably a bit higher, maybe around 100000 he guessed. All right. So what was the return on investment here? All right. So Abramoff says that when you add up all the money Tyco spent, so there was that $1.3 million that they gave to his firm in 2003, then there was more money the next year, plus another million or so that Abramoff got Tyco to spend on a letter-writing and calling campaign um, that was actually pretty ingenious. He was trying to get Tyco suppliers and the presidents of all these companies that you know had business with Tyco to call their relevant congresspeople and say, don't pass this bill. 
He says when you add up all the money that was spent on all that stuff, Tycho's return was still really good. It was multiple thousand percents. Tycho spent, um, let's call it the four million. For four million, they undid twice, by the way, because it came back this uh, tax, uh-huh. this retroactive tax, which would have, by their estimation, would have cost them four point something billion dollars. All right. So they spent four million. They got four billion in benefits. Dave, you you want to do the math on that? Uh, yeah. Carry the one. Okay. <laughs> that is a 100,000% return on their investment. Now, I should say I contacted Senator Grassley's office. They never got back to me, but Grassley has said publicly that he's not the one who spiked the Tyco provision. Tyco has also taken issue publicly with Jack Abramoff saying that he misused some of the money that they paid him. And in other words, their, their complaint is that the money didn't all get spent on lobbying for Tyco. If that's true, their return on investment should have been even larger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Alex, I, I have one big question about all this, which is, how should I feel about companies lobbying and getting these benefits? Like, you know, there are arguments on both sides about what taxes should be. So let's not take a position on that. Like, how should we feel about the fact that they're able to lobby and, and it seems, get, get these results sometimes? Well, it, it, that's interesting because, okay, remember that study from, from the beginning, the 2004 tax holiday, right. uh, where all these multinational corporations got lower taxes, uh, one-time only lower tax thing. The two people who did that study, uh, Raquel Alexander and her co-author, Susan Schultz, they actually totally disagree on what the corporate tax rate should be. Raquel thinks the corporate tax rate should be high. It should be as basically as high as it is. Corporations shouldn't be able to get out of it, evade it in any way. Susan Schultz, her co-author, is on the other side of that. She thinks that the corporate tax rate should be low. It should be in the 5% range or something like that, mm-hmm. that the companies are getting. But even she thinks that the way they're getting it through lobbying is a problem. We have a situation where we, in essence, invite corporations to buy their own tax rate, buy their tax rate down through lobbying. So they spend money on lobbying. They get their special deals rather than just having one consistently applied competitive tax rate where everybody gets the same deal. We end up with corporations that have or industries that end up making their own deals with Congress, which I think ultimately corrupts both the companies and the politicians. One last thing about that tax holiday from 2004. A lot of people have studied that by now, and, and, and there seems to be a consensus that it wasn't a very effective piece of legislation. I mean, the plan was it was going to create jobs, right? Right. The, they were going to bring that money back, and they were going to use it to hire people and build factories. And a report that just came out by the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation said that the law, quote, did not produce any of the promised benefits of new jobs or increased research expenditures to spur economic growth. You could argue that was Carl Levin's committee. He's a Democrat. But the right-leaning Heritage Foundation recently also came out with a report arguing that one-time tax holidays to bring profits back from overseas, that's not good policy. And yet, Congress seems ready to do it again. There is a new bill before Congress that's basically a repeat of the 2004 law. It's another corporate tax holiday, bringing the tax rate from 35 to 5%. It has 105 co-sponsors, and corporations have been spending a lot of money lobbying for it. Please 
please send us your thoughts, questions, comments on our blog, npr.org slash money. And Alex, we should point out this is part of a series of stories you are doing on the economics of campaign finance. That's right. We're, we're going to be doing a big hour-long special on This American Life, as well as a whole series of stories on Morning Edition and All Things Considered. It's a joint project that I am working on with NPR's congressional reporter, Andrea Seabrook. We're really excited about that. And, and as we've said before on this podcast, we are looking for insiders who can help us out. If you're involved in the lobbying business and have some stories to tell, write us at planetmoney at npr.org and make it clear whether or not you'd like to remain anonymous or on background. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. 